0: All right, man. So we're just going to get right into it, if that's cool with you. Just going to basically just ask you a bunch of questions off the top of our head as we kind of unpack more about what you do and your story.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fire away.
0: Sweet. So we'll get started. What's up, guys? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Real Talk University podcast. Um, First interview of the new semester. We got Tyler Bossetti on here. And uh, Tyler, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, man, of course, of course. Uh, If you could just tell the audience and also Krishna and I a little bit more about what you do, what you're currently up to, and I guess what you're all about.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm a uh, financial and a credit consultant and also a real estate investor. So I have uh, a few businesses. Uh, First and foremost, I have a business partner that we have, What is called financial independence accelerator it's a mastermind program also have a credit repair company as well as a done for you funding business as well and then as i mentioned i'm also a real estate investor here in columbus and we'll be expanding uh, my investments into ironically uh, in upstate new york area miami and orlando down in florida as well as detroit and uh, potentially parts of alabama but as of right now, pretty heavily invested in Columbus. and That's where I obviously uh, live and reside now.
2: Sweet. So there's a lot to unpack there. I just want to go into the mastermind first. So what exactly do you try to provide to your clients when they hop on the mastermind with you?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm basically, uh, you know, kind of just like the, the overall manager of the group just making sure that everyone's getting through the course material. So essentially how it's broken down. It's like a six week mastermind course style group. Where we also have two weekly coaching calls, and then they essentially are able to connect with each other and network with each other from our private Facebook group and our private messenger group. So essentially, what they'll do is they'll get onboarded, uh, you know, from our sales team. They'll immediately speak with me, so I can ensure that they're able to get uh, business funding, and uh, you know, obviously, an area that my business partner and I are experts in is getting people, uh, you know, zero to very low interest uh, business funding credit that allows them to scale their business you know get rid of high interest debt really be able to do a lot of different things so my my big role is just making sure that everyone's able to maximize their funding maximize maximize their results in the group and really just kind of hold their hand throughout the process
2: yeah I think it's huge that you said you do it within a time frame because I feel like if you take a course and it's just open-ended you're not really motivated to get it done. But if it's a six week course where you have people pushing you in a Facebook group and going along with the with you on the journey, then they're obviously going to be inclined to to crush it. So I really think that's effective for you and I'm sure that your clients get a lot of results out of that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anything we try to do is, you know, any really when you operate any business, you want it to be a win-win for everybody. So, you know, although they may feel like sometimes they are getting rushed through, like you said, uh, you have to take action. So if you're not taking action, and you don't have strategic dates set into place, then like you said, you're just going to float through the course, you're going to float through your business, you're going to just kind of just float through life in general. So we have that time frame built uh, and can immediately identify whether somebody's going to be able to maximize their results or if there's, you know, there's some other areas they need to focus on before they really kind of dive in. So I agree with you. That's exactly why we built it that way.
0: Yeah. And I agree with you guys as well. Like that's the way to do it to ensure not only that the students are getting a lot out of it, but that you guys are creating like long-term you know, success for what you're doing. Because if students are getting something out of it, you're going to continue to get more and more students every time you go back through that. Um, My question for you, just more interested in the investing aspect of what you do and more of uh, when did you first get started as an investor, would you say? And how, how did you get started?
1: Yeah. So I've, I've been investing since I've been like 18 in like the stock market and just understanding, you know, basically just some like low level stuff. I'm not really, I would definitely not consider myself an expert when it comes to stocks I kind of keep that wealth account pretty, you know, straightforward in terms of just really dollar cost averaging the S and P 500. So, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, I know that I'm going to have at least a 10% return. Um, at very little cost. Uh, so I've been doing that since I've been 18. Uh, as far as real estate's concerned, though, I, I got into the mortgage industry about five years ago. And that's where I got a lot of knowledge, a lot of connections and had great mentorship for five years. i mean, I to help build, uh, you know, the number one mortgage team in Ohio and had, like I said, you know, some really good mentors and, and built some insanely great connections. And so you know what we talk about why we use credit is to you get credit to to build income streams and ultimately build wealth and i think that if you want my honest opinion uh, i think that real estate is the number one way to build you know monthly cash flow and really build you know long term wealth as well so that's why i put a huge focus like 80% of my finances and focus is going back into the businesses and back into the real estate.
0: Yeah, that's I agree with that too. That's pretty dope. Like real estate, like it's long term equity, like it's always gaining value and you're always getting cash flow from it. So it's like a no-brainer. So like when you're kind of browsing markets for deals, what do you look like in terms of real estate? Like what's a deal that pops out to you? Yeah.
1: Yeah, one thing to add too, it's not about really I mean it's obviously it has a lot to do with how much you make, but it's also, just important how much you keep as well, so you know one thing that you guys will definitely learn um, if you don 't understand already is taxes it's the highest expense you'll ever have in your life um, I don't know who who has the quote, but two things are guaranteed in life, and that's death and taxes so it's not necessarily if you make a million dollars a month it's about a matter of can you keep a million dollars a month that's why most millionaires are made through real estate is if you, if you make 500K a year at your corporate job, you're getting taxed right now at, you know basically 40% of your income is just completely going away for Medicare, Social Security, just normal taxes. So when you get that paycheck, right off the top 40% is gone, right? If you make 500K in real estate, you have like three or four massive, uh, massive write-offs, tax write-offs. So that's why people that are already millionaires put their money in real estate to protect it, because then you can write off depreciation, you can write off the maintenance man, you can write off this, 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 and this. So you actually keep 500K, right? Whereas if you're in the corporate job making 500K, you don't, you, you just 40% goes away. We're at the lowest tax bracket that we've been in a very, very, very long time, right around 40%. And it's been upwards, uh, it's been as high as like 94%. So. That's what people are not talking about right now. Um, you know, we have a president right now that has built his wealth and his empire through real estate. Even if the next president comes in, I can almost guarantee you that real estate is going to be one of the biggest ways to protect what you've already made. So kind of going on a side tangent there. Uh, refresh, refresh my memory. What was the question that you asked? I think it was. Uh,
0: yeah, it's more so like what do you look for in a deal when you're looking for real estate? Like what stands out to you? other than taxes but that that's definitely helpful what you said
1: yeah yeah i think that you have to really just kind of like with anything keep it simple can i make money on the way in meaning you know if the property is 200k is there any possible way from my connections from my team from what we can do is there any way for me to make money the moment i get into the deal meaning can we get it for 90 95 can we get it for 80 85 right so is there any possible way to make money when you get into the deal and then also you got to figure out is this gonna be a quick, a quick play or a mid to long-term play? So what I mean by that is hey, if we we can cash flow at you know 15 to 20% every single month, then we probably wanna keep this. But my vision is I don't like, I'm I'm doing like the small plays where we're buying the single family homes, we're buying maybe the multi one, you know, two to four units to get my crew in there. We're getting great deals on them, which is you know pretty rare number one in Columbus, uh, but we're able to make money on the way in. So those properties that are 100K, we're getting them at 85, 90, right? And then on top of that, we're usually cash buyers because I have investors that I teach how to get that 50 to 150K at zero percent and they're working their nine to five jobs. They can't go find the deals. Well, my team can, and it's the money they didn't have even have in the first place So we're able to close right away. Like we're closing in three to seven days, buying the property in cash. It's more incentivizing for the seller. And then we have a decision, hey, if this is cash flowing 15 to 20%, we're just gonna keep it. But if it's not, then let's just go make a quick 30 to 50K in two to three months, pay out our investors, you know, the 12 to 15% ROI that they would never had in the first place and then we can take our profits and rather than paying taxes on that, we do what's called a 1031 exchange where you avoid paying capital gains tax on that money. And then we put that into a big deal, right? We'll put that into like a 20 a 20 unit apartment or a 30 unit apartment, right? So our goal is to get hundred units, uh, but you can put that down payment from the profits you made from this flip over here into this bigger deal without paying taxes Then we can bring on more investors to add value to those apartments, refinance the deal. Boom. That's how we're getting our cash. and How we're paying ourselves out from the deal.
2: That's huge. So when you say you get a deal, do you just mean you go in and negotiate with the seller to try to get them to budge or you just find things that people are desperate to get rid of? Like, what do you mean by finding a good deal on something?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So there's really a good deal anywhere and everywhere. I mean, if you can't make money on, on the way in, you may be able to make, you know, a large amount of money on the way out. Meaning if you have a crew that can flip and that's your area of expertise, then rather than getting one or two properties a month, maybe you need to be focused on getting two to three because you know, you can monetize the back end. So I'm pretty grateful and thankful just for my connections that I've built. Uh, I have a business partner that he has over a hundred employees and he has a wholesale division. So basically his wholesale team is just calling all day long. Yeah, trying to find distressed sellers. You know, maybe they're in a financial situation or you know, they just need to up and leave because their job or whatever, right? So we're saying, hey, we're, we found this property, it's, it's 100K, but all the properties around there is, is easily worth 110. So we'll give the seller you know, 100K cash will close in three to seven days. So i'm a little lucky there but that's what people need to look for or they just need to kind of focus on what their actual vision is and what i mean by that if you're trying to make quick cash then you can do the same thing you know you can go on the mos you can look around and see where the deals are but i'm just trying to always continuously do two things and two things only always leverage other people's time so i leave that to my my business partner he's the one finding the deals and then you should also be doing the the Second biggest thing in my opinion is leveraging other people's money. So that's where I keep my area of focus is how can I bring on more investors? How can I stack more credit myself? How can I continue to get more funds so when the deal comes to our plate? We're already ready.
2: Right. So when you say that you can like you can get a, a home for a hundred grand and flip it right for one ten, you're looking to do that right away, just buy the, the rights to it and then sell it right away for the extra ten and then profit off that? Is that what you were saying by that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what a lot of people do for like wholesaling. That's like uh, what wholesaling means in real estate, but no, we would, we would be already basically like, we're already like essentially wholesaling it to ourselves. That makes sense. But like, we're going to either, we're going to do the deal or one of my business partners, investors are going to do the deal. So we can kind of cherry pick which ones we want. He's like, Hey, we have 10 properties this week. Which ones do we want to take? Okay. We'll take these two Uh, It's literally like in our backyard here in Columbus, we'll send out the other eight for the other 12,000 investors he has on his books. So if there's a hundred, you know, if the property's worth 110K, we're going in already knowing that, hey, we have 10K cushion, right? And then, so when we send our crew in and we put 30K of work into it, we're only invested 130K and two houses over, Another investor just flipped it or it just sold two to three months ago for 180, right? So that $50,000 profit, we're taking that $50,000 profit and we're paying out the investors, right? The 12 to 15%, which essentially we have cushion when we're going into the deal, the 10K difference, right? That's 10% right there. And then our, let's say we keep after fees, you know, closing costs, paying the realtors, the title company, all that. Let's say my business partner and I, we're keeping like 30 to 40K, We're taking that 30 to 40k and going into the bigger deals and that's how you really build wealth is having the big deals that you can add a little value to you can increase the rents on right and then you can refinance it to get a lot of your cash back now you have a legitimate appreciating cash flowing asset and a massive tax write-off whereas if you're just flipping deals left and right like buy it for 100 sell it for 110 10k profit what are you actually doing with are you actually buying an asset with that if not then you're going to be paying taxes on that and you're probably going to be in the highest tax bracket as well
0: yeah yeah it's crazy when you break it all down it makes a lot of sense i think a lot of people are going to learn from that um i guess a cool question would be like i feel like investing is like best learned through major failures and mistakes for a lot of people? Like, has there been a deal or a time that you can recall where you made like a fatal mistake and then like, how'd you recover or learn from that?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest mistake that I've made and and most people make and people will just continue to make is they're trying to time the market. They're trying to find the best real estate deal possible. They're trying to find the best stock. They're trying to find the next Google, the next Apple company. And you just need to have a very, very like simple plan that works. So if I was 18 years old, what I would have done right away is I would not have tried to find the best 10 stocks, right? Thankfully, I had some mentors in that area where you know, they basically just explained, hey, look, try to find bigger companies that are not gonna go anywhere and pay out a solid dividend. But I would just narrow it down even more and say, you need to find a low cost index fund and basically have that index fund, the S&P 500, that you're just continuing throwing in $200 a month, $200 a month to the 500 largest companies, right? Not all of them are gonna crash the same day, right? So you're not gonna to try to time the market. So if you just have a low cost index fund, for the S&P 500 in stocks, since the history of time of the stock market, it's increased at about 10%, right? You throw in compound interest, That's the difference of somebody having, you know, a million dollars ready to go when they're ready to retire or potentially 25 million because they're not paying a broker, they're not investing into, excuse my language, a shitty 401k with over 17 different fees and, you know, three and a half percent on paper, they can put that into a low index fund and just matches the S&P 500. And then you just need to consistently take action what I believe in the best other area and that's real estate because you have massive tax write-offs.
2: Yeah, that's huge. But um, I don't know. I'm pretty positive, like on your Instagram story, I saw you investing in crypto, which is obviously very speculative and, and risky. So could you just touch on that right. because we're both pretty big into crypto right now too?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you definitely have to be, you know, everyone has a risk tolerance, right? So if you're not risk tolerant at all, then you can be dollar cost average, the SP be 500 your entire life and do nothing else. But uh, I think that, All the principles are into place. I I am pretty risk tolerant in some areas, so I'm willing to put 10 to 20% of my income every month into something that I think is speculative. And I would would say the most, I mean really the biggest three things I'm looking at is crypto, blockchain technology in general, and then probably cannabis and 5G technology. So for me, uh, I'm just looking at a few different things that kind of matches the principles of what all those big it's just ironic to me that the largest banks in the world and some of the biggest companies in the world five years ago said that oh it's just a fly by night whatever and then next thing you know you see the biggest bank you know chase uh, jp morgan and chase now they're they're involved in it facebook's involved in it right the biggest companies are getting involved in it so it's pretty obvious that it's probably not going anywhere but A lot of people don't realize as well that the U.S. economy and the U.S. uh, debt is increasing at a very rapid pace. I mean, our country, the United States, is at like $21 trillion in debt and just racking up time and time again. So you throw something like that into the mix, uh, for me, it's worth it. You know, for me, it's worth to drop in 20% of my monthly income that's coming in into something speculative. And if I profit, I'm just going to drop it back into things that I know is very safe. And that would be the S&P 500. That would be real estate. If it plummets, then oh well.
0: Yeah, you're just playing with money that you're already like content with losing basically. So and taking the upside, obviously. Yeah. um, So I want to move more into like the credit aspect of what you do, because I think in college, like that's really big for college students is like, how do you build credit or how do you um you know be financially responsible so what would you say are like some tips without giving away some of your bigger secrets um on how to build like a good credit report um as a college student or as a younger person I guess
1: yeah really really good question um you know what's funny is you can graduate high school and right away you'll get 100k of student loan debt no problem right um but that same person cannot Go get a mortgage if they don't have credit bill, right? They can't go get a mortgage for an investment property, or they can't go get uh, an auto loan to drive a car so they can actually go to work when they finish college, right? So it's pretty ironic that's how it works. Um, it's just, you know, it is what it is. So you have to get creative. And I think the easiest thing to do right away is if you have like a family member or a really good friend that has already built credit for like the last five, 10, 20, 30 years, let's say your parent had a credit card for 25 years, they've never missed a payment, they've been very responsible on their spending, then you can add yourself on as an authorized user and that will start reporting on your credit as it was there the last 20 years that they've had it. So you can immediately start establishing good credit. And then yeah I mean pretty simple like what a lot of people do on social media is to teach about how to travel for free so you know if you're in college and you're going to go on a spring break trip you can apply for you know some personal credit cards that if you hit the spending requirements you're going to get a ton of points and then you can use those points to go fly or you can do really whatever you want or get cash back so I think that it's really really important to look into adding yourself as an authorized user you know, with a family or friend, someone that's responsible on their payments. And number two, start building up your own personal trade lines as well. And a trade line is just as simple as going to go get your credit cards in your own name that you actually apply for, but obviously being responsible with them, right? Don't go using those credit cards at the bar, doing, you know, silly things with it. Just use it for things that you're going to basically spend cash on, right? So if you're going to go use your debit card, you might as well put it on a, credit card that's going to give you points or give you cash back so then four years from now you have four or five credit cards plus an authorized user or two or three authorized user accounts you're coming out of college with five to seven personal accounts and you've built a pristine credit profile at a very young age
2: So what are some of the cards you would recommend? Because personally, I have this the Discover It card right now. It's pretty good with cashback and things like that. And you're able to like check your credit scorecard with no uh, no dings on your credit. But what else would you recommend for someone starting out? Maybe the Apple card or something like that? I'm not really too incredibly well-versed in credit. Obviously, you are. So you could drop some names if you would.
1: Yeah. Yeah, good question. So uh, what's funny, though, is the, the credit card companies put the uh, – the sources in there to check your credit through their like app but just so you know that's not your real credit score that's called a vantage score so if you're not paying for a credit report then it's actually not your real credit score it's called a vantage score they're just doing a calculation to give you an idea so like discover capital one all of those big cards they have uh, like a source like that so you can go to creditchecktotal.com and pay $1 and you can get your actual free bureau report from Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. So again, if you're not paying for an actual credit report, it's not your real FICO scores. It's just called Advantage Score. I think that the best cards to start with is, I take the the top-down approach, meaning start working with the top five biggest banks. So Chase, US Bank, Citibank. Um, Yeah, so you wanna really start with the biggest banks go really in depth with the relationships with them, and then you can start working with the smaller banks in your area. So I, I recommend Chase first because they have what's called a, a five and 24 rule. Whereas if you get five personal accounts in the last 24 months, then you'll be automatically have, uh, declined for any of their products. So let's say that you had five credit cards already, you got all of them within the last 24 months, and your credit profile is pristine and you want and applied for a Chase account, it was like a 99.9% chance, or if not a guarantee, that you would just be automatically declined. And every bank has their own rule. So I always recommend to start with Chase. Uh, I would recommend that you just figure out what your actual um, what your actual goals are. So if you're trying to travel, maybe you just go get one travel card with Chase, and then you can go get some other cards and build your relationships with the other big banks. Or, you know, what I talk about quite a bit as well as 0%, let's say you go get two or three 0% personal credit cards. You're not paying interest on those until that introduction APR period is finished. And that could be 12 to 15 months from now. Right. So basically you're saving that money that you would have spent today to do other things that you can from now until then to hopefully produce income. Super helpful. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very helpful because like, Like Christian said, like I have a Discover card and you see most students like just with a simple Discover card or any of the like the advertised student cards. But I I think like going in on one bank that you can like trust and know that'll be around for, you know, a good period of time is a smart choice. And what do you think about like the Apple card? Because I feel like there's just a lot of hype around that with people not really knowing much about the benefits and the pros and the cons, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. Discover is good. They usually, you know, they, they kind of target, uh, college kids. Uh, you know, it all comes down to marketing as well. One little trick as well is whenever you get your credit pulled for a credit application, uh, most banks only pull from one or two bureaus. So what I mean by that is once you do, uh, X amount of applications, you could actually start getting declined as well because they can see how many hard inquiries that you've started to, to get hit on your credit. Right. And uh, Discover and Capital One, they actually pull from all three bureaus, whereas most banks only pull from one or two. So that means if you know how to like look at a file, you can say, hey, we would actually probably go after Discover and Capital One last because they're gonna hit all three bureaus that we just wasted the opportunity to apply for maybe one or two more accounts. The Apple one, they're master marketers apple's master you know their masters on marketing but they're also very intelligent to know that 78 percent of americans are paycheck to paycheck because of high interest so most people have high interest credit cards and they go into apple and they don't have the money or they've already maxed out their other cards they're geniuses hey how about we just make our own credit card have them finance it because if they purchase an apple product they're going to get x amount of points it's super incentivizing for them to still buy the product Um, you know, if that's what you're trying to shoot for, you're about to go buy a lot of Apple products and yeah, but I think that I would value travel cards first and I would value 0% cards, uh, as well, because I would actually use that, those cards to produce income.
2: Right. So in our case, would you recommend that we get the chase? There's a travel card for chase. I'm assuming that we should apply for if we want to rack up miles and things like that.
1: Yeah, I think the best travel card to start with, um, the only downfall, though, is uh, the Chase Sapphire Reserve is, is by far the best. And, uh, you know, the only downfall is, is it's a $450 annual fee. It's actually increasing because uh, the card is so good, it's increasing to $550, but there's always a profit on a card as well. So what I mean by that is after you had X amount of spending in the first three months, they will give you like fifty thousand points. So when you when you turn that into actual monetary value, it's like eight hundred dollars right there. And then they also give you like three hundred dollar flight voucher. They give you, I think they just changed it where they're giving you some perks or so like DoorDash, all these different perks that you have. So on paper, yeah, you're gonna pay 450 to 550, but when you actually look at the profit of the card from the points and the other incentives that you have right away, it actually equivalents to about twelve hundred dollars. So that card alone is worth, you know, $1,200. I would recommend to start with Chase Reserve and then, again, just kind of figure out what you value from there. Hey, I've already used these points, so I want to apply for, you know, another card like the Amex Gold card so I can fly through Delta. Oh, I want to get a 0% card because I'm a college kid and I want to scale out an Amazon store or I need to do this or that, or I need to buy another microphone for the, the podcast, right? So that's really what you have to value as a kid, in my opinion, is, is are you actually going to go produce income from this and think long-term that this is building up my credit and I can save on not having to pay cash out of my pocket today, or am I going to take a few trips this year and I'm already going to spend this money in the first place, so I might as well put it on these credit cards, get the points, and then you never have to use it again if you don't want to.
2: that's that's very true but when you say like you have to like hit a certain spending amount before you can get these rewards is it like something crazy like if you want to get a say you want to get like a free flight to florida for spring break like how much would you actually have to put on the card to be able to to hit that
1: yeah usually usually it varies from like three thousand to five thousand in three to four months but uh there's there's ways that you can actually like show that you spent the money um, a lot of different tactics that I see people teaching online, I just don't think is the most ethical. Uh, they call it manufactured spending. Where I'm not even going to go down the the rabbit hole of what people do, but I think what uh, that you can you know very ethically do is you can go to what's called uh, Plastiq.com. Uh, that's spelled P-L-A-S-T-I-Q.com, and you can pay your rent through a credit card. There is going to be a fee on it, but when it's all said and done, let's say that you paid three months of rent on a credit card and you use that credit card for your books and this and that, things that you were going to potentially pay cash for in the first place, yeah, you may have to pay anywhere between 2 to 3% of fees, but you also just flew two or three flights, right? So you can go and use different sources online to actually use a credit card for spending. Wow.
0: Yeah, I feel like there's so many different ways to, to you know, leverage credit. So uh, if people want to learn more, obviously you're very knowledgeable about different ways people could benefit from using credit. Like how uh, would someone, I guess, get in touch with you or one of your programs?
1: Yeah, um, usually just hit me up on Instagram at Tyler Bosetti. That's T-Y-L-E-R. Last name is Bosetti, B-O-S-S-E-T-T-I. And uh, I'm in the process right now of getting some funnels built for my website um, with my business partner. But yeah, it really just comes down to, you know, what are you looking for? Do you need credit repair? Are you looking to build your credit? Do you want to go get 50 to 150 K at 0%? um, Basically facilitate all those areas, or if you want to get into real estate investing, you know, that's something that I can bring on investors as well. So.
0: Sweet, sweet. Um, So we're going to move into what we call the lightning round. It's just a few quick questions. Um, but the first question is, Is do you have any questions uh, for Christian and I before we move forward?
1: What's your guys' uh, biggest choke point that you guys see right now on, like, credit and finance being college students?
0: Um, I just think, like, n- not being responsible with spending and, and understanding, like, the repercussions of that. Like, I feel yeah. like just every college student, like, even Christian and I, like, I admit, like, I don't know enough about – credit and finance especially to be in business right now and that's like a problem and there's no resources anywhere on campus to teach that. and that's why we do the podcast so we could like get your time and and ask the questions of people like you who have are actually doing it so i feel like there's not enough information um that and students are gonna really struggle especially because the whole student loan and debt thing i think is just insane
1: yeah I mean, real quick on that, I know we've got to move on with the other questions, but, like, I have a uh, a colleague of mine that he didn't he didn't realize, like, it's not what it's taught in, in, in college. You can just go get, like, you can set up an LLC and start stacking right away on your business, and now he can go invest in the next two to three months. Well, I'll get him, like, 50 to 150K, let's say 100K. When he graduates in May, I'm going to hand him back 100k plus, you know, an extra 15k that I just made from a real estate deal, and he's a college kid right now, right? So when he's coming out of college, like, hey, here's a fifteen thousand dollar check from doing nothing. So that's the power of credit. Or what people try to do is they try to eliminate, you know, debt that is really not that bad of debt. So you can kind of go back and forth between student loan debt being good or bad. But I would much rather people go get zero percent credit on their business that's not reporting on their personal credit and use that 15k to pay off your student loans and then you know continue to stack that over time versus using your hard-earned cash that's a very ignorant thing to do
0: yeah and just real quick before we get in the last three questions like for business purposes like we run a media agency and we obviously have like payments like subscriptions and and tools and and people that we have to pay to deliver client services on a monthly basis. So what are some cards to look at in that, that area, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, prime example, what you guys could do today, if you haven't done so already, you guys can set up an LLC together, right? And then once you have that LLC, you guys can start uh, applying for some business credit cards. So the first one I would probably look into because you guys have subscriptions, you guys may be running ads or eventually be running ads. You guys can get like an Amex business gold card. And uh, also with the Chase Reserve card as well, that's on the personal side, but those two cards right there give you 4X the points on the top two categories spending. So if someone's running, you know, if a client of mine is running $10,000 of ads every month and he's growing his media business, then he's getting 4X the points on that card. And now when he logs into his Amex portal, you know, every single month, he's racking up points, 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 which he can use for travel, really use for whatever he wants. And then also you guys can go get maybe one or two cards at 0%, right? Let's say another 10 to 20K each. You can use that 10 to 20K each to actually start buying more equipment or, you know, really just doing whatever you can to grow that business and to grow your presence. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that does. I just wanted to go back to when you kind of asked like what what can trip people up for me. It's just like the kind of the fear of the unknown, because I've obviously I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard rumors that like, Oh, if you apply for X amount of cards, you might get your credit score dinged. Or if you go check on your score, you might lose points. So I'm just trying to play it as safe as possible. And I don't know if that's the best approach to take when you're trying to build up a credit score.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you said something that I love, uh, that I talk about all the time is your fear. Like you you're scared and you fear what you don't know. And 99.9% of people don't know credit and finances. That's why they're scared of it, and that's why they do exactly what you said—they don't do anything at all, which is just as bad as actually taking action. So, uh, yeah, let's say somebody has a 750 credit score. Everything on the paper looks good, and they're like, "What in the world? You just told me to go apply for five to ten accounts." Yeah, their scores may get deemed because they get with you know they get hit with hard inquiries, right? And their scores drop 20 points. But then the next statement. the following statement their scores actually go back up you need 21 personal accounts to have a perfect credit score so what's funny is if you've never had credit you can't go get a mortgage right so in reality the more accounts that you have the better the better payment history that you have the more mixed accounts that you have that's all built in the algorithm to show that you're a credit worthy borrower okay i got
2: you so you would, you would recommend, obviously, that I go apply for, say, the Chase Reserve card and then just start racking up spending on there and just paying it off, and it'll eventually bounce out and even overpower the original ding for applying?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if your score dropped 10 to 15 points, eventually it's going to come back. If not go exceed where it was prior to.
2: Awesome. And are there ways to kind of waive? I've seen other credit people online. Are there kind of ways to waive the uh, the annual fee of say 450 bucks that you have to pay for the, the Chase card you were talking about?
1: Yeah, there are some approaches. Um, I mean, you can do like some people will like lower the limit. So there's a law that if the limit exceeds the threshold of what the annual fee is, then they have to remove it by law. So what I mean by that is if the uh, the the annual fee is like four hundred and fifty dollars, but your limit's only like a thousand dollars on the card, then legally you can't you know charge that person four hundred and fifty dollars. So what some people will do is if you get approved for ten k, they will call Chase and say, hey, I want to lower my limit because a family member is going to use my card. I don't want them to rack up ten k. Can you drop my limit down to a thousand dollars? Or um, or they'll just try to negotiate with them. Like, hey, can you lower my limit? To be honest with you, that strategy just doesn't work as well anymore. And to be honest with you, um, I don't even think it's worth anyone's time or efforts or money to try to even do that anymore. The last thing that people will do is they'll call it uh, downgrade the card. They'll go from one product to a lower product. So you still have the account history, you still have the length of time you still have a relationship with the bank, but they're just shifting you to a new, a new card, essentially. But like I said, if there's not a profit on a card, you probably don't even need it in the first place. So you might as well just downgrade it, get the annual fee, and just move on. Uh, but the Chase Reserve has a profit, so I want to be worried about the, the annual fee with that one.
2: Okay, awesome. So we'll just move into the lightning round quick and get you on out of here. Uh, we obviously know you're very busy, so we don't want to waste too much of your time here. Um, so first, if you could have dinner with any three people dead or alive, who would they be and why?
1: Oh man, that would be uh, that's funny. I've actually never thought about that. I would do, man, I would, I would say LeBron James. Uh, I love sports. I think he's a great businessman. I'm from Ohio. So I think LeBron would be pretty cool. Um, I'm also really big in the music. I think Russ would be very cool to have dinner with as well. Um, he's also kind of, like I said, uh, I don't, there we go yeah it's a great book it's all in your head it's a great book if you guys have not read or listened to that insanely good book and then oh man I'm going to like try to squeeze both of them in there but I would say like Gary V would be sweet I think that he's kind of like who yeah I got the got, man I'm just naming off everyone you guys like I would like to squeeze in Grant Cardone in there as well because I'm trying to I'm trying to build like 10x the empire that he's built so there we go man there we go So those those guys are very popular, of course. But I think that in a weird way, I like relate to all of them, and uh, just love what they've built. And I'm trying to do what each of them have built, but even bigger. So.
0: You definitely with what you just (laughs) said, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely relate to that dinner table. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh. so if uh the next question is if you were in college so like our situation right now like what side hustle would you start and how would you go about starting it
1: yeah good question um i think you have to really just really do two things and two things only whether you're in college or whether you're 10 years old or whether you're 100 years old number one do you like it it's so cliche but i've done like 900 things at the age of 25 and I've always excelled in areas that I've enjoyed because I would just never, ever, like ever be outworked if I actually enjoy it. And then number two, does it actually solve a problem? If it doesn't solve a problem, then I don't give a fuck if you love it or if you hate it. There's no value. So you're eventually gonna just get ran over. So if you, if you like it and it solves a problem, then that's what you need to focus on and for example, um, I used the e earlier, like some people may love, I don't know, being on their computer and figuring this, this out and that out. So like Amazon automation, super sexy right now. But for me, it was always like finances and it was always like business. It was always you know, doing sales, doing this, doing that, and building connects and meeting new people. So that's where I've always tried to focus into is those two things is leveraging other people's money and leveraging other people's time.
2: Dope. That's great advice. Yeah, we agree. Because like you said, one, sure, it might make you money, but if you hate it, you're never going to be able to sustain it long-term. And then two, if you're not helping anybody, no one's going to kind of want what you're offering. So uh, last question, uh, what's one thing you know today that you wish you knew when you were 19?
1: Oh, man, I would, uh, everything I know now, would probably would like just credit and, uh, I mean, honestly, like, I call it the after hours too. I had a lot of fun, and had to a, a lot of connects through that, but I think that just consistency always wins. Consistency always, always, always wins. So even if it's 10 minutes, even if it's like you guys are about to go out on the weekend, or you're about to go home or whatever, just like 10 minutes or 10 hours, just very, 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 very consistent action. Um, I didn't really answer the question at all, but uh, um, I don't know. I think you just gotta you gotta put in the consistent work every day. It doesn't matter if you invented the the greatest thing or the the worst thing if you just are consistent with it, you enjoy it it's always a problem. you're gonna look back ten years twenty thirty it'll be something that is pretty special.
0: no doubt, yeah, consistency is key. It's what keeps you around uh long term that's What we're all here for. So appreciate your time today, Tyler. Uh, If you could just plug um, your social media or website or anywhere else uh, for the audience one last time. And um, yeah, I just appreciate your time and everything you've uh, shared with us
2: today.
1: Absolutely, guys. Uh, Like I said, you guys can message me on Instagram. That is at Tyler Bosetti. And I will personally get back with you or my team. And then my website, TylerBosetti.com. That's T-Y-L-E-R dot com and the website is getting finished up right now but by the time people hear this it'll probably be all wrapped up and again i appreciate it you guys have a great day and uh go stack up some credit
0: yeah for sure bro appreciate all the advice we'll uh show you a message when this is dropped and uh we'll put all the links and whatnot in the show notes so awesome guys Hey guys, show some love for the Real Talk University podcast by subscribing and leaving a review on the Apple Podcast app. See you all next week.